Do depressed Canadians deserve death by doctor? Welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, February 7th, 2024. In today's top story, Canadians try to expand their suicide laws to protect doctors who kill people from, with mental illness. Uh, hello, I'm Dr. Tim Chafee, and I'm joined today with Avery Foley and our favorite paleontologist, Yay. Dr. Gabriella Haynes. <laughs> So you don't uh, know you don't know a lot of paleontologists. So th that's true, but you'd still be my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so let's jump into it. Here's our, our top story. Uh, this one is, says, "Death by doctor may soon be available for the mentally ill in Canada." And so Canada has already allowed what they call assisted suicide for quite some time. Since and they, 2015, uh, yeah, I believe. And so they allow it for various reasons, yeah. but there's been attempts over the last several years to expand mm -hmm. that to people who have been diagnosed with certain mental illnesses. And we're, and before we make any comments on it, we're not trying to downplay any of the severity of people who are truly struggling or suffering. Oh, yeah. Um, but we don't believe the solution is, okay, yeah, let them go and um, get assisted suicide right away. That, uh, yeah. Rather than, or, yeah. th there may be ways that can help people through these things. So, all right, so that, I'll, set, I'll send that over to Avery <laughs> since she is from Canada and she can weigh yes. in on this. We've actually talked about this before. Um, for those longtime viewers, you may know we've talked about this before because it keeps getting delayed. Canada's, I think for three years now, they've been trying to implement this and for various reasons, it keeps getting delayed. It's been delayed again, um, this time due to them not having enough doctors to be able to implement the program. So they've decided it was supposed to go into effect in March. It's gonna be delayed. So there's um, not enough doctors who are willing to the healthcare system in is kind of not the best. <laughs> There's a lot of shortages and stuff. So they just don't have enough doctors to be able to do it and possibly not enough doctors who have the conscience to be able to you do that You won't hear as the well. American media um, report what she just said. <laughs> probably not. Because they always say Canada <laughs> is like the, the gold standard for healthcare. But, um, but yeah, they're. they've been allowing it for terminally ill and chronically ill Canadians for a while now. Um, and now they're wanting to expand it even more. Which if you think about it, like it was only 2015 when this first became legal in Canada. And of course the wording at the time was, this is just for a very small select group of people who are absolutely horribly suffering and there's nothing that can be done to help them. So we're just gonna let them die with dignity um, on their own terms with their family around them as opposed to prolonging their suffering. Well, that was 2015. And now you're looking at less than a decade later and they are trying to push for, okay, well those who are suffering from mental illness, well they can choose to have assisted suicide. And there's others pushing for, okay, well, if you're the parent of a severely handicapped infant, you should be allowed to choose to end your infant's life as long as they're under a certain age. So there's all kinds of things happening. Canada already has some of the most liberal laws in the world regarding this, and they're just continuing to push and try and expand that to include more and more people. And it's interesting, because as you read through the article, they talk about how, well, people who have mental illness, they're, you're discriminating against them if you don't allow them to choose assisted suicide. But if it's discrimination not to allow them, then why have any barriers whatsoever? Like, they're like, well, the person's mental illness has to be incurable, they have to be, they have like all these different well, criteria you have to hit, but if it's discrimination, like One of them is, you why can't be any? suicidal. Yeah, that's one of the... <laughs> that was actually one of the criteria. Like, that doesn't make... <laughs> <laughs> any sense whatsoever. <laughs> but if it's, if it's discrimination, if there really is this right to die, then what's, why does the Canadian government get to be the one to set the rules of discrimination of who gets to and who doesn't? And it just shows the arbitrariness of their position and how it will ultimately continue to get pushed further and further and, and further and here's, further here's because of their logic. Here's what's most concerning, I think, for a lot of, well, one, the devaluing of human life. That's Absolutely. concerning, but here's yep. the other problem who determines what is and is not a mental illness because we know that changes all the time. So what happens when they rule that, oh, people who are religious, people who are Christian, people who belong to this faith, they have a mental illness. Well, then guess what happens to them? And right. so it just, it How opens the door it? for all of those things. Yeah. 
is it optional or it's, you it's get totally to choose culture, yourself? Totally a culture of death. Like uh, in yeah. every single way they're trying to push abortion, you know, just murder uh, yeah. a baby inside of the womb. The baby, it's uh, born and then now you're going to destroy with all these ideologies. And then if you don't destroy them now, so you're just going to try to murder the person either way when they're, they have mental illness or age yeah. or, you know, it just... Uh, it, it, it just totally a culture of loving death. Yeah. You know, it's not promoting life. It's not promoting hope. It's not promoting uh, care. It's just promoting destruction. And mm -hmm. we know from the Bible who comes to, to kill, kill, to destroy, yep. you know, everything, which is, you know, is the devil. And, and, and it's just so sad to see uh, people that... A lot of those disease, you know, like those mental illness, if you could use different approaches, you could um, help them. But then the only solution that they're giving there is just like, okay, that's fine. We're going to give you hope. You're going to die next week. And it's just, it doesn't really make sense. It's just yeah. so sad to, to read papers like that and mm -hmm. see countries favor something. It plays into what we were talking about backstage a little bit, that so many of these issues, and not just these ones, but it seems like in everyday life now, you can't disagree with anybody without it being like this completely polarizing, you're all the way on this extreme and you're, or somebody's all the way on this extreme. There's never reasonable dialogue about things. So in this case, you're, if, if you're either... Um, completely for this or it's like well you don't care about these people suffering or you don't care. there's there's right. like there's no middle ground like yeah. can we try to help them in other mm -hmm. ways can yeah. we try mm -hmm. to help them through this it's like you know you're no you you have to allow them to end their own lives mm -hmm. or to get assisted suicide and yeah um, a lot of the specialists in the article are talking about that they're like we're really concerned that if you allow this then the patients we are desperately trying to help who sometimes it takes years for them to start to get better they're just going to choose to end their own lives we're right. never going to be able to help them because they're just going to make that choice because it's easily available f to them mm -hmm. and so even these secular psychiatrists who certainly don't have a biblical worldview they're understanding like this opens the door to a lot of really really terrible things. And, and, and this isn't just affecting like a really tiny portion of people. Like 13,200 Canadians chose assisted suicide last year, which is a 31% increase over the previous year. So like this is growing by leaps and bounds. And it's, it's really, in a biblical worldview, it's really sad to see because human life has value. Even in the midst of suffering, human life has value because we're made in the image of God. We're not like a dog or a cat that is suffering. So you put them out of their misery because they're suffering. Humans have an eternal soul and they're made in the image of God. That's totally different. And of course, that's not being recognized here when the government says, oh yeah, people should have the right to die. Well, it isn't the government that gets to decide what rights we have. It's God and his word. He's the creator. He sets the standard for human rights. And there's no right in the word of God to you to choose to end your own life. That's simply not there. God is the one who is the author of life. He is the one who gives and takes away. And so you need that biblical worldview. Otherwise, what you end up with is the kind of horrible stuff that's happening where human life is just so devalued and will only continue. I mean, it's already in less than a decade. It's amazing how much this has just jumped forward. Be give because it a of few more years. Yeah, because if the state is the highest authority and the state is the one who takes care exactly. of health, health yep. care, the state is the one who does all these things. Well, anybody who's creating a bigger drain on the system than they are bringing to the system, well, it'd be a lot easier if we got rid of them. Yeah, even the, they, they don't value them as individuals. Right, it's exactly. just a, it's a yeah. numbers game. Even a yeah. doctor was saying here, I'm trying to keep my patients alive. Uh, what does it mean for the role of the physician as healer, as bringer of hope to be offering death? What does it mean in practice? 
Because, you know, doctors are supposed to save life. That's, isn't that, because in Brazil, right. you do a... a Hippocratic Oath is what we do. Uh, they kind of, they have a, I, I don't know the name. It's a, a, a ceremony where they, they assume that they're going to do th their best to save life. I don't know here in the United States if you have something like that. We have something they call the Hippocratic Oath where it is yeah, the promising oath, yeah, to help. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, and here they're not doing that at all. You know, there's no trying right. to say... Because they've redefined just, what care is. Yeah. <laughs> yep. They've redefined what compassion is, not mm -hmm. by biblical standards, but by their own. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Well, and as Avery mentioned, that it has been put on hold once again because yeah. they haven't been able to find enough doctors who are willing to participate, but uh, give it a few years. It's a matter of time. They, they continually try to push it. it. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, more this one it might sound like it's good news, and in one sense it, it, it is, but it's also kind of sad. Uh, the United Methodist Church lost a quarter of its churches. So they had this thing where about five, six years ago, they decided that they were going to change their stance on several LGBTQ issues officially, and they said, we know there's a lot of churches that don't agree with that within this, this denomination, so we're going to give them like a five-year window to leave, and they can keep their building during that time. And so um, several of them decided they were going to leave. So about a quarter of them said, we're going to leave that denomination. Many of them went to a, a new startup one. Other ones went elsewhere. And um, so that's this article is talking about. It. I, the reason I mentioned it's kind of sad. It, one, it's sad that their this denomination went that direction, although it's very easy to see that for years and years and years if you've been paying attention to that denomination. Um, and in a sense, it's sad that only a quarter left. It should have been yeah, much higher or, if you're, um, you're going to yeah. go by biblical, biblical standards, which is what a church should be doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was reading through the article, which is talking about a, um, a new study that was done by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership at Wesley Theological Seminary, where they wanted to find out exactly how many churches has left. Now that the five-year window to leave has closed, um, they wanted to see, okay, how many churches actually left? They found out it was about a quarter. And as they're talking through the different churches that left, they said, well, 71% of the churches that left came from the Southeast and South Central region. So mostly Southern churches were the ones that left. And this bishop, who was a spokesperson for the church, said, our church has always been very reflective of the mood of the country. He goes on to talk about how they're small membership churches that reflects the culture out of which they're located. So it's basically like, yeah, we're not surprised there's mostly Southern churches that left because that reflects like the culture of the South as opposed to churches in, who are maybe on the coasts or whatever that are more liberal leaning. And it, it's really sad to see the bishop of the church being like, yeah, our churches are reflective of the mood of the country as opposed to the word of God. Like your church should not be reflecting the mood of the country. It should be reflecting what the word of God teaches. Can you imagine if the very first church, like right after Pentecost, like, oh, we should reflect the mood of the of our city. Oh, dear. oh you mean the one that just crucified Jesus? Yeah, that's who you should align with? <laughs> no. No, you gotta go with the word Culture of God. Culture is always changing. Go with God's yeah. word, which never changes. Well, that's the... That's the, the goal of the church, right? Is to be the fortress of God's truth and not mm -hmm. just go with the mood of the country or the mood of the, the culture or Dangerous place to be. whatever. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's just, it's just not good because you have to understand you're not going to be judged by God by the mood of the country or the <laughs> culture. You're gonna that be is judged. not his standard. No, he's, you're going to be judged by his law, you know, but his word, mm -hmm. and that's very... Um, and the Bible says that the ones that teach, we are hold with way more kind of accountability. Standard, yeah. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so it's just, it's just it's just so hard to see you know churches like that going that direction yeah. so. and 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 making excuses you know for something like that happening. They should be like, what happened? What is happening that the churches are, are leaving? And of course, they know what's happening, uh, but they should just be. 
uh, more careful trying to make up excuses. So one of the statements in here was, we've got to find our way back to fulfilling our mission, which is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And I think a lot of us would say amen to that. But what, when Jesus gives that great commission to make disciples of all nations, what does he say? He says, teaching them to obey all things I have commanded you. In other words, go back to what God, what God has mm-hmm. taught us rather than let's reflect the values of our culture. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, otherwise, you're not making me. disciples of Jesus. You're making Jesus disciples said. of the world. No. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Yeah, and that's reflected in, in a lot of what the Do we have any good news in this one? Not here. <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> all right. Polyamory and the next sexual revolution that has been here for years. This is something, if you've been paying attention uh, for a while, this is written by Michael Brown who is, man, is he a prolific writer? <laughs> he, and he speaks with a lot of expertise on a lot of topics. But um, this is something that many people have been aware of. There's been TV shows and, you know, that have been promoting this. But it kind of goes under the radar a little bit because some of the more hot-button issues, especially in the last several years with, like, the transgender mm-hmm. issues that are going on are, are a lot... Um, well, maybe a lot um, more of a red flag to a lot of people, so this right, kind of flies yeah, on the radar. So kinda... polyamory, if you're not aware, is just multiple, more than just two people together in a relationship, in an open relationship. So you could have three, four, five, however many you want. And mm-hmm. um, Of course, that does not line up with God's ideal and what he, yeah. you know, what we see as a standard for marriage, one man, one woman for life. But, um, so, but in a culture that does whatever they want to do and they determine what marriage is by, well, whoever loves one another, I mean, um, how can you argue by how against your standard? Yeah. Not by how God defines love. <laughs> right. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, so how do you stand against that if you've already lost your yeah. your more moral mm-hmm. basis yeah. for it? Yeah. Yeah, this one was interesting because the author is talking about, um, you kind of see that in the title that's been here for years. He's talking about how we're starting to see it more and more, but this isn't anything like really new. He points back to an article he wrote back in 2012, and it was really surprising to me as because he reprinted his 2012 article within this article. Um, and he's giving all these examples from 2012, so just a few years before that, or he's pulling these examples of TV shows and articles and books and um, all these different things that are promoting polyamory. And that was oh, well over a decade ago, and yet that's still happening. That's still moving forward. Um, so that it really has been here for years. And at some point, it's probably going to explode. But like Tim was saying, the transgender movement has kind of kept it a little more under the radar. Um, but what was really interesting is he says that um, a 2012 article in the Harvard Law Review found that according to a Gallup poll, since 2006, it's talking less than 20 years, there has been a fourfold increase in the number of Americans reporting that polyamory is morally acceptable. In 2006, it was 5%. Now it's 20%. So a lot of people are just like, like one in five people are just like, eh, sure, what's it hurting anybody? Who cares? Yeah, well, the problem is, first, they are changing the definition of love, which has nothing to do with all these crazy things that they're doing. Second is... uh, they're not understanding the goal of a relationship. The goal of a relationship is, as is in the Bible, is just to reflect the relationship between God and the church. Right, yeah. That's why God created Adam and Eve, you know, and that's the, the goal of a relationship, is just to reflect that, is to show and to teach the society about the relationship between God and the church. So it's not only for you to do whatever you want, whenever you want, with no commitment. Uh, it's for you to, to, to 
to reflect that to, for you to fulfill it, multiply also, and you can just bring, uh, you know, the glory of God in the whole world. So that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the point. It's just when you don't have the right base, when you don't have the right worldview, you can go any way that you want because now you don't have anything to tell you what is right, what is wrong. Yeah. And that's basically the heart of, a, of, of, of the sin for life. You just want to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do, and you, you, you think that you're not accountable. But mm -hmm. at the end of our life, we are going to be accountable for everything that we do, you know? And it, even if you use a nice word as like uh, talking about polyamory, polyamory? Mm -hmm. Yeah, polyamory. That's a hard word to say. <laughs> uh, polyamory, uh, it's, it's not something good. It's actually something very evil and very sinful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so we are to strive to glorify God in everything that we do, and that would be within the confines of marriage as well. Uh, if, if you happen to be married, you're supposed to, that's supposed to reflect who God is to this world, and, and if you're doing it in a way that is flagrantly violating what God has set up, then you're not reflecting God accurately. So one of the people in this, in this study says that um, they're quoting from somebody else's, this reflects my opinion. A lot of people say no to more love. That's how they define it, having more people in there, that's more love. Uh, why? Well, in my humble opinion, the number of one reason is that they don't love themselves. Now, we would submit that the problem <laughs> so many times in this world is because people love themselves too, too much, much and they're not putting others <laughs> yeah. first. Yeah. And then they go on, he goes on and says, it's the first place that people say no to more love. After that comes the perception of ownership and control in relationship. The mentality is my partner is mine and I don't have to share it. Well, if that's your mentality in a marriage, it's not going to work very well because mm -hmm. your mentality should be, I want to do what is best for yeah, my I spouse. Serve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to serve. And I want uh, for, uh, you know, for my wife, I want to do whatever I can to, to be the best for her and to protect her. And you know, so not to think, oh, I own her and she, has right. to, she, has, she lives to make me happy. That's not what it's right. about. But at the same time, like the two become one flesh. So no, you don't share your spouse with, uh -huh. with other yeah. people. Like that's just like, no, you don't bring three yes. or four or five people as they do in this, in this article, some of these couples into your marriage because like, well, I'm just going to be humble and share. So, no, that's not, that's not it either. Uh, and, and real quickly before we move on, a lot of people, when they hear this, are like, well, but in the Bible, they're like a lot of the patriarchs and you know, they had more than one wife and everything. Mm -hmm. And the Bible never comes right out and says that Abraham did something wrong by doing this. Yes, but in every single case, it immediately showed you the huge complications yeah. and problems that came as so a result of that. <laughs> so whether it was Solomon yeah. or with David or mm -hmm. with Abraham and, yeah. or with, you know, with Jacob, you immediately see the problems that arise mm -hmm. as a result. Because and it's, it's not all the framed ideal. up against the Genesis creation account where God right. creates Adam and Eve and makes the two one flesh. Like mm -hmm. that's the context of, right. of Genesis with all those Which Jesus examples. affirmed as well. Yeah, Matthew so. 19, Mark 10. All right, next yeah. one. So I think we have somebody on our panel that can talk about this <laughs> quite a bit, right? Um, Avery, no, I'm just kidding. Go. <laughs> so scientists pinpoint growth of brain cerebellum as the key to the evolution of bird flight. So you probably know that the um, evolutions have reclassified birds as avian dinosaurs. Now they're just dinosaurs, and they think that birds came from dinosaurs. Well, somebody on our panel has been doing a deep dive on this for several years. So um, in this one, they studied the brains or the brain cavity of modern birds, pigeons, mm -hmm. And then they studied the brain cavities of what you would say is a, a extinct bird. And they said, this is how dinosaurs evolve. So bird to bird, that proves dinosaur <laughs> to bird, right? So. Yeah, well, something that we have to all be aware when we're reading any report, you know, from the news or uh, books, 
it's, they have a worldview. They have a worldview, they're going to apply the worldview, and they're going to interpret everything through those uh, lenses of worldview. That's something that we have to see. And one of the things that you see right here, they're talking about the rare event in evolutionary history. So they believe that what happened with evolution, it's history. It's not a story. It's history. It really happened. It's, it's true. So that's, that's applying the worldview. Their worldview, they believe that that's uh, true. So because of that, they believe that uh, birds came from dinosaurs. So they're now what they're doing. They believe in this. So now they're going to do some research to reassure uh, what they believe. But the problem is they are redefining, they're changing the terms so they can make it work. So now they call the Manoraptors. The Manoraptors is basically a word that they uh, invented to include birds. And now they're saying, hey, the Manoraptors, which in their mind is a dinosaur, they just look, their brain looks a lot like birds. Well, they're comparing birds with birds. So shockingly, bird brains in the present look like bird brains in the past. Wow. Are you insulting all of them? <laughs> <laughs> it's shocking, I know. <laughs> you know, yeah, so that's what they're doing. And they, they, they do a, a huge uh, uh, paper, right, a huge paper talking about comparison of bird with bird. Wow. You know, that's, that's not... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a bit, a, a very good research. So that's that's the whole point. There's a lot of assumptions here, evolutionary assumptions, uh, and they're just comparing birds with birds. And so, then they, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, so she doesn't have time to tell you all the details on it, but what you need to go is check out a video that Dr. Haynes mm -hmm. was part of that just released on Friday. It's on Answers in Genesis YouTube channel, and that's with uh, Joel Lineweber, one of our uh, artists who's done paleo art mm -hmm. for quite a while. He's drawn dinosaurs, and the two of you did just a fantastic job explaining this issue and helping you understand what's been going on and a little bait-and-switch tactic that they use, and this mm -hmm. whole issue, if you've ever been confused about the, the dinosaur to bird or the feather dinosaur, all those sorts of issues. It's like a 17-minute video. You've got to check it out. It's very it's good. fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. great job, Dr. Haynes. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, so if you have any questions, just go there. And I have written some articles also on this topic, so you can check. Uh, and then you can think, well, what is the, what's the problem with dinosaurs having feathers? You know, the problem is, first problem is we haven't found anything. That's we find big, birds with feathers yes. in the fossil record. Yeah, we <laughs> haven't found anything. Stars. That's the big one of the problems. <laughs> the second problem is they're changing the definitions and terms. So we've seen the secular idea of also changing the terms and definitions of what a woman is, what a man is, what life is, um, also being applied in dinosaur and bird um, um, topic. And the third thing is they're trying to push this idea of evolution through something that a lot of kids like, which mm -hmm. is dinosaur. And they're using this in, in videos. They're trying to use this in movies and doing all of those things. So that's a big problem. They have changed, the, for example, the definition of a feather. Feather, uh, if, I, if I, I tell you what is a feather, you're going to say, like, well, you, you can show me what a feather is. Now they're changing the definition, and a feather is now it's a filament. Get you like uh, your your hair? Yeah, that's just like this is a filament. Or like that's a little hollow thing. tube or something. Yeah, like that. right. Yeah. So yeah. that's a, that's in their mind is filament. Uh, so now a filament is a feather. So when they see any any dinosaur that has a filament there, oh, it has a feather. No, 
They're changing the definition mm -hmm. of what feather is so they can apply to what they want. Sorry, I talked too much about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's spilling out after three years of research. Yes, yes. Do you have 30 more minutes, please? <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, in principle, like overall principle, we're not saying that God could never make things the way that he wanted to. Like if he wanted to yeah. make some with yeah. feather, of course he could do that. He makes some things that we look at today and think, that's really weird, like the platypus. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but as far as we know, he didn't do that. And mm -hmm. he certainly, they certainly did not evolve one to the other because the Bible tells us they're right. going to bring right. forth after their kind. Yeah. So he's not going to do something that mm -hmm. would contradict what his word says. So, all right, well, I'll cut her off on that one. <laughs> so we can get the next one. Go watch the um, video if you want more. We'll get to one that, that Avery likes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How did humans learn to walk? New evolutionary study offers an earful. All right, well, this was a weird one to me because I didn't see anything new in here until the no. very end. It wasn't something really? new, but it was yeah. new yeah. attached to this. So we've always been, we've seen these pictures of like the, the ape-like ancestor, you know, getting more and more upright. Everyone and, knows that image, uh, right? right? And yeah. this whole idea of how did they learn to walk? They used to kind of crawl through the trees and then they kind of swung through the trees and kind of walked, ambled along, and then they started to stand upright more. And we've all seen that, and that's kind of what the article is talking about. But Avery, then they throw in something else, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they were looking at the fossils of the inner ear bones of a extinct ape, Lufenpithecus? There's a random G in there. I don't know what to do with the G phonetically. So. <laughs> but um, because obviously you, you don't just use your legs for walking. Your whole body is involved in your walking, but also your inner ears yeah. for balance and things like that. So they were like, oh, well, we don't, we only have the skull of this creature. So what if we look at the inner ears to kind of figure out how it, how it walked? And what's totally shocking is this ape walked like an ape. Wow. It's, again, it's super shocking. Um, it's and, very surprising. <laughs> it very is. surprising. It kind of clambered around in the trees and kind of swung around in the trees, which is what you'd expect. Um, but they go on to say that the analysis of this shows that um, the, loco the locomotor repertoire that was ancestral to human bipedalism. No, it just showed that apes climb like apes, and you're assuming that that is the lineage through which humans came from, mm -hmm. and therefore this shows an early stage of evolution. That's not in the fossil at all. That's just their interpretation because of their assumed evolutionary relationships. But then Tim mentioned that the real issue, the real reason they're doing that, and then get to the end and it's like, the reason for this was climate change. <laughs> There's your real reason why it's in there. They the have to get climate change in there the somewhere. The international team proposed that climate change may have been an important environmental catalyst in promoting the locomotor diversification of apes and humans. There it is. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's always, they the, always tie it back into uh, climate like change. One of the only things that's missing from this article is aliens. I mean, right. Now, if they yeah. would have helped teach them how to walk, then we would have had like yes. the trifecta of the, the perfect article. Yeah, it was funny because I was reading this paper and I, I was reading, it was like, well, this is just, yeah, I knew that. I knew, and I knew that. Yeah, I knew, knew, knew that. Yes, climate change is like, okay. Yeah, and it's, it's always like in the bottom, this is the last paragraph where <laughs> they're trying to, yeah, yeah, to tell you the story, the reason why they're doing all this. Uh, so, Again, a lot of assumptions. Yeah, and there are pushing, so many evolutionary ancestry yeah, right from the beginning. Yeah, and pushing an agenda yeah. right here. Well, the, the, let's see. The good thing is now you're going to get to learn what evolution means. We get to define <laughs> life, okay? This and was my favorite so, article yeah. you had today. This article was quite bizarre. So the improbable origins of life on Earth. Now, we would agree, as this article actually says, that it is nothing short of a miracle. Agree. God spoke. So we and can't agree. It with was that. done. <laughs> there was the miracle. Was miracle. They won't acknowledge that one, so they say it's nothing short of a miracle. Um, so, this this article was was quite interesting to me because uh, life. Here's their definition: is what is subject to Darwinian evolution. And then by Darwinian evolution, they go on and 
try to define natural selection, they start talking talk about Not natural selection. Not the same Natural thing. selection is an observable process <laughs> mm-hmm. it is by, that, that acts on previous genetic, genetic material that's already there, present in the genome. Evolution requires a gain of new information all the time that we've never observed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not the same thing, and yet they do that all the time. So, Dr. Haynes, why don't you um, again, give us your thoughts on this? <laughs> well, again, is changing the definition. Now that I can change the definition of life, and then I can yeah. just apply to anything that I want and how I want. And that's mm-hmm. amazing because it talks about, oh, it first happened like storing information. Well, what does information come from? What is information? Right. Why Back is information? You can't store the information until you have the information. Why is information <laughs> is important in this process? You know, so, I mean, he was just talking, talking, talking about things that were already created and done. He's talking about DNA, RNA, amazing, proteins, awesome. Okay, what they come from? Right. You know, yeah. everything. And then he says in the bottom, just like, well, everything needs to work together to, to make it possible for life. Oh, really? So that's all uh, by chance, you know? And then he says, which is, was funny, for I would hate for you to mistake me for a biologist. Oh, yeah. I would not mistake you for a biologist <laughs> at all because, honestly, you have no idea, you know, that when actually you see in biology, it's just the loss of of information they're gonna Mm -hmm. they're gonna they're gonna lose information they're gonna they're gonna they're not going to add information or you know store information the way that they're thinking that it's just gonna store information and then it's gonna be enough information for everything else that's not how it works so i mean it just it was a funny one as we were talking it seems like it was a creationist writing it almost reads like satire because it's just like like this person is just going on and on about the complexities of life and everything you have to have in place in order for life to have started in order for it to evolve and he's like and and this cycle is gloriously complex and obviously the result of billions of years of fine-tuning and refinement you're like, you just talked about how complicated this is and how you need everything in place in order for mm-hmm. this to work. And then you just go on to say that it's obviously, uh, this gloriously complex process, well, it's obviously just the result of billions of years of refinement. But if you miss one thing, the whole thing falls apart. Mm-hmm. It, it was just like, like, am I reading creation of satire right now? Like, what is this? Um, it's yeah, just, so what we observe Romans in, 1, right there. Uh, what we observe in biology is life comes from? Life. 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 Intelligence yep. comes from? Intelligence. Intelligence. Information comes from information. information. <laughs> and evolutionists can't provide any of those three. Right. And yet they call it science. It's never been observed. And mm-hmm. like you said, it, it's nothing sort of a miracle. That's right. Because it was a miracle. God mm-hmm. and it was, created life in the beginning. It was yeah. definitely glorious. Yeah. yeah. And it's gloriously complex because it came from the creator yeah. who is all wise and all knowing and whose creativity is boundless and endless and will never mm-hmm. get to the end of studying the in, in, I can't even say the word intricacies of what God has made. And as Romans one says, it's evident to all that yeah. there is a creator because of the things he's made. But what is the most amazing about it is you, if you look at creation, you learn, um, you learn about God's attributes as Romans one says, but then God also gave us his word. And he also stepped into history as the person of Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place and offer us the hope of salvation. He didn't just create a world and then step back and let everything go. He cares for his creation. He's, he's involved with his creation. He's sovereign over his creation. And he stepped into his creation in order to save us. And that's the amazing thing that the authors of this article are so missing. It's not just creation is amazing. The God who made it yeah. is amazing, and he loves us so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's about the Creator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really, we can't 
end on anything better than that. That is that we need to tell people who the creator is. It's not mm -hmm. enough to just tell them that they were created. They need to know who he is. That's our Lord Jesus Christ, who, as Avery said, died on the cross for our sins. Then he conquered death by rising from the grave and offers eternal life to all who believe in him. So that, that's really what we're all about. It's not just saying we're right, evolutionists are wrong. It's, it's, it's not that. Ultimately, yeah. we want people to understand yeah. the gospel message, but that evolutionary message is so, it puts blinders on people so often so if we can help them understand that this is a worldview issue, it's not science, it's a worldview, it's a philosophy, then maybe they will be able to see that cross and understand it, the importance of it. So, all right, Absolutely. well, let's wrap things up there. We're out of time. Let me tell you real quickly about a couple, we've got a conference coming up, our homeschool experience. Um, Stand is the theme, Parenting Kids to Face the Giants. And go, that's May 9th through the 11th. That's going to be down at the Answer Center uh, at the Ark yeah, Encounter. here at the Creation Museum as well. Oh, at the, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm teaching go. workshops here, so I know it's at the Creation Museum because mine are here. Okay, so you'll want to go to the Ark Encounter. No, <laughs> no it's both. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you, Tim. You'll I'm wanna, excited for my program. <laughs> yeah, you'll so. want to go to hers. So you can go to answershomeschool.com for more details. And then we also have uh, STEM. Any Either of you guys involved in this? I am not. No. Okay, so I'll just read what's on here. So. Um, 2024 STEM Challenge, November 6th, 6th here, at, or it's going to be at the Ark Encounter. Mm -hmm. So go to getanswers.org slash can win monetary prizes if your team wins. So, so you know more about it than I do. Yeah. Well, you asked me if I was involved, not if I oh, knew about okay. it. <laughs> That's why I was asking, so you can get <laughs> more detail than what's on me. the thing. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. God bless. God bless. Thanks for joining us.